Welcome to Nell and Matt's Obsolete Movies, the podcast where we revisit movies from our 20 plus years of collecting films in obsolete formats. You can also think of this podcast as being about films from the VHS era, though not necessarily on VHS, though we're on quite a VHS streak. Uh, and our film for this episode is Four Rooms. It is our New Year's Eve, New Year's Day special. It is a New Year's themed film and from 1995. And we have it on VHS, getting it from, I think we got it from Dusty's Garage. I think you might be right. Which yeah. is where everything comes from now, is eventually all things in the universe pass through our friend Dusty's Garage. <laughs> and some of it falls into our lap. Um... <laughs> Four Rooms is famous because, and I just realized I forgot the VHS box downstairs, uh, because there were some hot directors. It's, it's, it's an anthology film. For those of you who don't know, it's an anthology film that takes place in a hotel on New Year's Eve, and it features uh, Allison Anders, who we know uh, from Gas Food Lodging and... Uh, Border Radio. Border Radio. Alexandre Rockwell, who was a hot theater director from New York City, who hasn't done a lot in film, but worked with like um, uh, with some like Sam Rockwell and Stanley Tucci uh, and Steve Buscemi. So he was known for er working with them early in their careers. Hot Gen X '90s people. Speaking yes. of which, Robert Rodriguez. Yes. We all know who Robert Rodriguez is. Yeah. And Quentin Tarantino. Directed the fourth statement. So you don't get more Gen X than that. Right. And you don't get more Gen X 1995 cool than that. So obviously this film was a huge box office flop. It, <laughs> it was not well received. Uh, one of the things he noted in the box was, I think Roger Ebert said Antonio Banderas was hilarious. Yes. And then you go a long way before you get something else. No one else says anything good. You know, you can sometimes tell, like, there's those top-of-the-line critics who say, you know, if Roger Ebert really likes the whole film, at the time, Joel Siegel, uh, Rex Reed, any of those people, uh, oh, well, an important person who's respected, his opinion is respected like the movie, and then you get down and down and down and down. Yeah. You know, the classic, I don't know if folks know this, but if Larry King is ever on a, on a box, Larry King said once that he likes every movie he's ever seen, <laughs> and so if he knows that the movie's probably not very good in the eyes of other people, if his quote is on the box. Yeah. Because that's the only, that's the most famous person they could get a positive statement from. And so, it's a VHS box like that. And Roger Ebert did not like the movie, and the only thing he liked really was Antonio Banderas. So they picked Who was in 10 minutes of, of the 90-minute the film. The, the film. And the film, it cost around $4 million and only made $4.2 at the box office. So, it, it was definitely a loss for yes. the studio. But... It did, I think, have a life because it... Tarantino, you yes. like that Pulp Fiction? Gotta see it. Um... Which I think we did rent in sometime in the late yeah. 90s. Uh, I don't remember much of the film. Actually, I watched the film, felt like watching it for the first time. But I think it did have a life on home video. And in yeah. fact, the copy that we watched is a former rental copy yes. of Four Rooms. Um, I think we saw it back when there was probably pizza and beer and Aftershock and Sour Apple Pucker <laughs> involved. And maybe it didn't matter if the movie was good or not, because, you know, substances. 
Uh, now that yeah. we're older and we did not have uh, any alcohol. No, we had uh, we had we had chips and nacho ch- yeah, chips and right before. Dip before nachos and queso, which was nice, uh, and a glass of water as we were watching the film. <laughs> uh, it is New Year's Day. Um, yeah, so let's get into revisiting this movie in the 2020s and why it didn't work then. Yeah, and why it didn't really work to this afternoon either. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's four segments and Tim Roth is is the Ted the bellboy and he's the one who ties all the stories together cuz he's going to the rooms and having these experiences in each of these four rooms. And so it starts off with a witch's coven uh, and so he is with Madonna. With Madonna. Actually, but a very like maybe she has like five lines. Because that was the end of, maybe towards the end of people thinking Madonna could be in movies. Yeah. Like, her persona, her performance persona was her acting ability. And she obviously could pull that off. Yeah. But Madonna shouldn't have been in movies. Yeah. The five minutes... Madonna's not a movie star. The five minutes, five lines she has is fine in this segment called The Missing Ingredient. Um, And so the premise is they're trying to... This also part confuses me because um, now, granted, we are don't know Wicca, we don't know much about witchcraft, but Diana is is a Greek goddess. Yeah. Uh, but they're trying to bring back Diana, Diana, who is supposed to be the sorceress that they want to bring back, who was tragically turned to stone, and they're trying to bring back. And in the honeymoon suite of this hotel 50 years ago. 50 years ago. It is ago. also uh, that way that I think in the 90s, um, and thinking about being in Pittsburgh today, and there's so many new things and so many old things have gone away. Old buildings, old institutions are gone. That way that after the 70s, after stagflation and the oil shock, there was just like 20 years of decay in big parts of this country. Yeah. And that you could have the old downtown hotel that has not... I mean, if if that hotel existed today in L.A., it would definitely be luxury condominium premium apartments that would cost $2.3 million for a one-bedroom. Yeah. That's what it... If that building survived today, it would be that. But back in the 90s, for those of you who weren't there, there were places you could go to three-dimensional spaces that you walk through a door and it's time travel and it's 1940-something or it's 1960-something or it's 1970-something Yeah. and the big remodel, big gentrification hasn't happened. And so this hotel is definitely a throwback to a world that no longer exists. Yeah. Early Hollywood studio system, late 40s, 50s. Maybe even a little, some gestures stylistically to the world before the war. Yeah. Um, as, yes, including the bellhop uniform right. and all of that. So it's sort and of time And even the um, uh, telephone system where it is you have to plug it in. Yes, uh, which is an old-fashioned switchboard. switchboard. So, but anyway, um, so these Covenant Witches are coming back to the specific room to bring back Diana. Uh, the thing that got me about it... Uh, is that the talent in the room, the talent in this this room. Which, again, this is an amazing and the thing. the cast, so like you had, so 
at the time, Alicia Witt would have been the least known. She would have been on Twin Peaks. But she went on to do, like, Urban Legend and a bunch of other films. Um, you, you, Madonna. You had Madonna. Madonna was you in had this Madonna. movie. Uh, you had Sammy Davis, who was in Hope and Glory, which was a really big British film. Set yes. In London. Love that movie, yes. Um, you, you had uh, Valerie, Valeria Galano, who uh, she did, like, Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, so she did some, like, really kind of... Oh, Rain Man. She did Rain Man right before this. So she mm. would have been known from that. Ioni Sky, who is in Say Anything, was an indie darling at the time. And then Lily Taylor, who is like this, this amazing actress who is in a ton of independent films. Just an incredibly amazing, amazing actress. Um, maybe Mystic Pizza is probably like her biggest one. And she was in that John Cusack movie about the vinyl store, about the record store. High Fidelity. High Fidelity. She played one of his girlfriends in High Fidelity. So you had this, like, well, we won't say Madonna is an amazing actress. But, but there's a star power a super team. So you have this this amazing group of women that don't do anything. Yes. And I, it's really frustrating, actually. It's really frustrating. <laughs> the script is very strange. Yes. For most of, if not all, the four segments... The characters don't have any motivation. There's just a lot of plot. You don't get a sense that characters have internal motivation. Yes. They, that what we call in like fiction writing workshop objective. Your character has to have an objective. Right. They need to dismantle the time bomb. They need to raise you know fifty thousand dollars to save the orphanage by next week. Right. There's something that they have to do. They're just like, hey, we're doing this thing. We're gonna put the ingredients in this cauldron. Okay. And so, and they try to have this tension and personality between the different actresses, but it all moves way too fast. Yeah, and there's to, too many, too many people, too, too many, many characters people in this brief in this segment. And it's wacky. And, and it's I think wacky. this is a thing I'm going to say a lot. It, wacky is super hard to pull off well. It is. And it if is. you try too hard to be wacky. Even though you're supposed to be wacky, the point of wacky is that it's over the top. Yeah. There's too much, too wacky. They're just, everybody's too wacky. And, you know, honestly, it's like you, they want, they want uh, ejaculate for their cauldron. Yes, so, they're supposed to have ejaculate. And then, so it's, you know, like a sex farce. And yes. then there's breasts. And that's all it is, sex farce and breasts. And they actually don't pull it off very well. No. At all. <laughs> no. Uh, so this, it starts very poorly. It's not yes. interesting. It's not fun. You could have had, for me, this, like, amazing interaction between these actresses. And they all maybe get a few a few words, a few yes. lines. Yes. But again, and, and a lot of those lines is, we need to move this plot. We need to move this yeah. plot. This is a 15-minute segment in this film. Right. Let's go. Absolutely. So it's just, it's not very successful at all. Yeah. And then we move into The Wrong Man, uh, which is not successful either. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which um, is the bellhop stumbles into, he, there's a party, there's a New Year's Eve party, they ask for ice, they don't know what room they're in, they give him the wrong room, he knocks on the wrong door, and then there's this weird psychosexual game happening which has Jennifer Beals from Flashdance. Maybe that's the highlight that you're like, oh, Jennifer Beals. Yes. So many stars in this movie in 1995. Which, again, I think is why this film had a rental life. 
Yeah, and you know, it's also the thing, like, if you're a Tarantino fan, you know he likes rapid-fire dialogue, right? And not everyone can do it. Yes. Uh, and so, like, you, Garrett, Cary Grant would have been the best ever Tarantino actor, because he could, he just, yeah. like, could do that kind of rapid-fire witty thing. This is just not done really yes. well. They're trying to go for that in a in a degree of this kind of yeah, and which is fire. weird because then you have someone who's uh you know so Alison Anders did you know a couple famous films yes a couple important Gen X films uh, Alexandra Rockwell was a New York stage person right who's who's more known for that who is then trying to almost do a Tarantino Reservoir Dogs esque killing Zoe. All of those kind of films of that era style scene. Yes. And doesn't pull it off. And so you also get that the bellhop is suddenly a very different character. Right. And part of what makes this movie unsuccessful is that the Tim Roth bellhop character, who's also the tenant, he's the only one on duty. So anything that happens in this hotel, he's got to go deal with it. Yeah. Um, but he's a different person and he's a different character in every segment. Which which is hard because it's yes. not this consistency. And he's supposed to be the glue that holds yeah. us together. So it's his body and his costume that holds the movie together, not his character. Right, and you know... Uh, and I don't know if you can blame him for that. No, and I think it becomes hard because... You know, each each director did a different segment and directed him in different ways. And wrote those segments. segments. That's the other thing too, is I think there was there should have been a yeah. maybe big picture script coordinator or something right. or big picture author. Somebody should have had a lead in let's make sure that this character is the same character yeah. in every segment. But so he goes from being this completely milk toasty Nothing burger who then gets seduced <laughs> by right, and you know, the witch actually has to put a spell on him to get him to, to get sleep him to sleep with her. So he's got no libido or anything, and then he kind of is that again. But then he tries the like. P I mean, actually, also the other thing is, is that obviously people were thinking like Peter Sellers would have been the best bellhop for this movie, or Jerry Lewis, or Jerry Peter, Peter Sellers, or Jerry Lewis. If this film was in 1962, yeah, it would have worked. Where, yeah, where Peter Sellers actually would have probably pointed out, like, why is this character changing in all four? And, yes. You know, would probably have been like, no, here's the overarching, yes. you yes. know. Which, and I think that's the other thing, is I think Tarantino and Rodriguez get the idea of a genre study. Yeah. You know, they did that with... The grindhouse. Yeah. Let's explore a genre, its conventions, maybe in ways you don't understand. Like I didn't get um until I was on an academic panel about the rape revenge film in Grindhouse. Oh my gosh. I Oh uh, we both blanked. We both blanked. Not Planet uh, Terror, it was Death uh, was it Death Proof? Death Proof. Death Proof. Yes. Um, the fact that those films are supposed to the odd pacing, but that's how rape revenge films work, is that the, the pacing that the two segments yeah. are supposed to be balanced equal in length. So to the point where maybe it might sacrifice a contemporary audience understanding the film to go for the genre study. Yeah. This movie is a wacky sex comedy caper genre study 
from the late 50s and early 60s in a 90s context and doesn't pull it off. Which then brings us to the Robert Rodriguez segment called yeah. The Misbehaviors, where Antonio Banderas, the one part of the film Roger, and he does, he does pull job. that character off really well. Yeah, he he's a dad, and he's got a wife, and the kids are in the hotel room, and they decide they're going to go party hardy without the kids, so let's let the bellhop take care of these kids who then misbehave, <laughs> you know? And again, so you have this character that is a little bit, uh, you know, milquetoasty, but then suddenly becomes a massive dick and is yeah. super aggressive and rude to the like and really, rude to these little kids. Yeah, and the char- Antonio Banderas character gives him like five hundred dollars to check in on the kids every thirty minutes. So and then he's suddenly really greedy yeah. and really like oh, five hundred dollars. I'm not going to do any work, you know, and right. and all of this. And he hates these kids. And so he becomes, he goes from pushover to tyrant. Yes. Really quickly. Really quickly. And they establish that Antonio Banderas' character is... Scary. Scary. Like, he's very intimidating. He's scary. He threatens Ted before he leaves yes. and says, if anything happens to my, my, my children, I wouldn't want to be you. And so, you know, it's very, very, very intimidating. So you would assume it would go a different way. You would assume it would be like the first two segments, yeah. especially when the kids start going crazy and right. doing stuff. And so then there's all of this stuff that's funny, but really not funny. Well, right. Yes, exactly. So the kids start drinking. They start smoking. They find a needle. A hypodermic needle yeah. that they start playing with. And they're walking around this hotel room barefoot. And this hypodermic needles on the floor. Yeah. And, like, that's not funny. And then the most unfunny thing of all, there's a dead hooker in the mattress. Yes. Which I, I understand that urban myth was a big deal in the 90s. Right. But then suddenly that's a gag in the film that there's a person who lost their life and was buried in the hotel room yeah. mattress. And what do you do with this dead body? Uh, ha, ha, ha. And then, you know. Yeah. Which then gets to the only segment maybe of the film that works. Well, yeah. I mean, I well, to kind of go back to that. So that that segment ends really over the top where you know Antonio Banderas walks in and Ted has and mom is passed out drunk so he's carrying mom she, walks yeah. into the room the room is on fire there's a dead body the kids smoking cigarettes even though that's the other thing the the bellhop is like slapped a cigarette out of the kid's face multiple times like three times so this kid gets whacked in the yeah. face Ha ha ha! The daughter's drinking. The daughter's drinking another and, bottle of champagne. And Ted has a, the hypodermic needle in his hand as well, and yes. so it's you kind of like walk into the most outrageous scene, yeah, possible with it. Um, and nothing happens, and right? nothing bad happens. So he doesn't come down. He comes down wet because the sprinklers start because of the fire, but he should have had at least a black eye. Yes. Right, like you would assume Antonio Banderas walks in on this scene, he would have at least punched him. Yes. Um, and so that continuity... And also the police are supposed to come because there's a dead body and did call the police. Right, and that's but not wrapped. We just go to the next segment, segment and which is the Tarantino segment. Which in this segment he talks about the bellhop, which, or the bellboy, which is a Jerry Lewis film. And it's the first film Jerry Lewis directed. And in it he pal- plays a bellboy who's completely mute throughout the whole movie and kind of stumbles onto these ridiculous scenarios and keeps getting himself in trouble. 
Um, yeah. I watched it on AMC in the 90s when in college we watched AMC all the time for some reason. So I kind of like when he brought it up in that we had form, 43 channels in college. This is <laughs> the cable package had 43 channels so that we always would just and we didn't have HBO it's basic cable package. Yeah. So it was ESPN or movies. So when he when he movies. brought that up, I thought that was like, oh, I get what they're going for. I remember that film. I remember um, Jerry Lewis's character getting into all these scrapes, but Jerry Lewis directed it, and so the character is consistent throughout the whole yes. whole time. Uh, and so you know what his reactions are going to be. You know how he's going to act, and of course he's going to be befuddled the whole time. Yes, uh, and it works really really well. Where now we're going into the. The final, the final segment. The final segment. Which is The Man from Hollywood. The Man from Hollywood. Starring Quentin Tarantino and, and it's not listed on the box, Bruce Willis. So you, you have even more star power yep. in this segment, in this film. And Marissa Tomei has a cameo. Yes. And so, again, so much star power in this movie. Yeah. But yet, it it implodes tremendously. Um, yeah, and and so it is rapid fire dialogue. It is Hollywood excess. It's things that Tarantino does very well. It's genre study about Hollywood excess with rapid fire dialogue. People who messed up people, messed up privileged people who have no conscience. Yeah. Who are just looking for thrills and excitement. And so there's this... And there's this reference to a Hitchcock TV series show where, uh, you know, there's a bet involving a car and a pinky and... Which is a Roald Dahl, actually, story called The Man from the South. So he wrote it. Um, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory author. Guy, yes. Uh, he wrote it. And uh, Hitchcock... Yeah, it was cha- it was uh, turned into a segment of uh, for Hitchcock's series, and yes, yeah, so he actually explains the whole Hitchcock story. Yes, <laughs> um, and then it's like, and now we're doing it in real life because we have this bet because we're all drunk on New Year's Eve and being crazy. And will you be so kind, bellhop, as to chop this guy's fing- fing- pinky finger off if? And he does it for a thousand dollars, right? And so, you know, you we go back to him being now like milk toast again. Yes. Right? And so, like after the the um, children misbehaving after that segment, he calls Kathy Griffin, who is a comedian. A you know everyone knows who she is. She's the hotel owner. Calls her to tell her what ha- what happened, how bad his night was, what's going on, and that he's quitting. And she convinces him to stay, to go back to this room, but it, it, to go to the penthouse. But in this moment, he is hysterical. Like he's, you know, freaking out. He's screaming, yelling at her. He is really upset. He wants to leave, but she convinces him of the importance of going to the penthouse. So he goes to the penthouse to deliver what is requested, which is a board, nails, twine, and a knife yes a cleaver a cleaver more specifically is what is asked for and so he delivers it and he kind of like 
it's no, it's like no big deal. Like you know, just Tarantino's like gives him champ- some champagne and he some kind of and he kind of chills out a little bit and is enjoying it. But then when they ask him to do the deed, he initially says no, but they give him a thousand dollars and he he agrees. Now the scene is kind of funny. Like that part is that really scene funny. is funny. I think there's the most amount of character. Yeah. In the film, in the sense that these people do have motivations. Yes. They are, you know, whether it's greedy, whether, you know, Bruce Willis is also drunk and getting divorced. Yeah. Uh, There is a John Wayne Bobbitt joke, which is very, you know, 90s, man. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All of that, of course, it's a Tarantino segment, so there's the N-word. Gets used. Yeah. Um, And a classic car. The bed is a classic car. Or you lose your pinky. Well, he has to light his lighter. He has to light his Zippo Uh made in Pennsylvania. Made in Pal American, made in Pennsylvania Zippo ten times in a row. And he gets the car or loses the pinky. And it doesn't light the first time. And guess what happens? He loses. Chop. Chop. And the bellhop grabs the money and walks out the door. Which is hysterical, right? Which is hysterical hysterical and funny. It's funny. And then and as the as the credits are rolling, there everyone's in a panic trying to find his finger, getting it in ice, and getting him to the hospital with it. So that one is the best one. Yeah, Tarantino though isn't the best actor. Yeah, that yeah. So it's almost like if it had been switched and like Bruce Willis was the you know he and Bruce, Bruce Willis played the Bruce Willis character very well. well Tarantino could have just got somebody. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like, Steve Buscemi would have been really good in 1995. Yeah. As Quentin Tarantino. That would have been a lot of fun. That would, I think, I agree with you. I think that would Could have, have saved most, at least that part of the film, or maybe that would have radiated out a little yeah. bit. You'd think, oh, well, you know, the movie sucks, but if you watch it on VHS, just fast forward the first hour... And watch that segment to be a Tarantino completist. Because, you know, Pulp Fiction was in 94, this is 95. John Travolta would have been really funny. John Travolta would have been good. He would have done a really great job with it. So, you know, so, you know, at the time, Tarantino would have been the biggest name. Robert Rodriguez had done El Mariachi. El Mariachi. El Mariachi. And then Desperado in Four Rooms came out at the same time, mm-hmm. came around the same time. So he would have been a relatively newcomer. So, like, now we know him for Sin City and Spy Kids and a bunch of Dust to Dawn. Like, he's done yes. a ton of stuff. But at that time, he was really only his second movie in. Yeah. Um, so Tarantino would have been the biggest name at the time, would have been the biggest draw. His was the most successful of them, but still. Not up to the caliber of a Tarantino, right? Yes. Um, you know, especially coming off Pulp Fiction and just how amazing Pulp Fiction is and how amazing... You know, and yeah, that's, which the again thing, was, that's the thing is, like, he can do it, right? Because Pulp Fiction is all these different stories, right, that kind of are happening. Work together. Work together. And, again, this film has an interesting failure, mm. which it is. It, I mean, it's, it's part of it is, how did it not work? Right. All of these famous, important, talented people came together to make a very bad film. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, and that's that's what it is. Yeah. And we should probably transition to the, 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 the big four questions. Um, 
which we will, I think, rehash for the autopsy of this film a little more. Uh, so the big four questions, first one being, of course, is a camp retro classic just an old movie. I think it's just an old movie. It's the 90s, man. It's yeah. the 90s. Yeah, that's yeah. all it is. It's just a mo- an old movie. Yeah. Um, and it's bad 90s tropes, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want the ni- if you want to be a 90s completist somehow, like, I'm just going to live in the 90s, see everything in the <laughs> 90s, or be a Tarantino or Robert Rodriguez, or I would even say, you know, Allison... Andrea's completest. Yeah, yeah, you can watch that segment. Yeah. But you don't need to see this movie. Um, the social political distance, I think we talked about a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, dead sex worker jokes are not funny. The, yes, I'm. Child yeah. abuse is not funny. Uh, there's a lot of misogyny in the film. There is a lot of um, misogyny in the film. That's kind of hard to, to deal with. And though, like, Allison, you know did the first segment, it did really feel like it was just a sex farce and just nudity. And it wasn't even... But it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun, and it wasn't, like, it didn't feel empowering for the women. It just felt like they actually had, like, really no reason to to be shirtless and brawless. Yes. Other than the Roger Corman thing of getting getting to nakedness fast. Yes. Not that he was involved with this film, but... And that that kind of that was bothersome because you're just like, and it was they, also the lesser stars who did that. Madonna right. doesn't get topless, obviously. Exactly, and so that that was Lily Tyler doesn't get you know yeah, to, topless to, 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 she doesn't get topless either. So there's this massive female talent, and actually a lot of those women would have been known for their feminist roles in other films. And so that was, it's just what was bothering yeah. so And they're not, again, they don't have internal, I mean, I guess it passes the Bechtel test. Yeah. Because they talk to each other, but um, and then they the, don't see, they, it doesn't feel like they have internal motivation or are complex people. Yeah. I mean, all they talk about is the ceremony, really. Yes. And that's it. And then when you get to the second one, the wrong man, it's spousal abuse, right? He has. It's spousal abuse, but somehow this kind of consensual exciting sex game we're assuming because it's, it's not with, really explained fully if it is yeah you know? yeah and then also you also don't know if it actually is it supposed to be like a haunting or something because like the room number is like rubbed off it's just like really this repeated scene that goes on and on and on it's it's very strange but at the core of it his wife is tied up and he's threatening to kill her. Yeah. And Ted, who he thinks is sleeping with his wife. But she encourages this belief that they're sleeping together. So it's yeah. very weird and very bizarre. Yeah. Then you get to... Actually, I was really happy the misbehavior of Havers. Um, because when Ted comes back, sees the dead body, he keeps calling her a, a hooker, right? Like, he yeah. keeps just calling... keeps Or whore. Keeps calling her whore. And the little girl gets so at, mad at him for kind of being so derogatory towards the dead sex worker that she stabs him with the, the knee. The hyper- know, yeah. But then yeah. that is also the tension is, oh, AIDS or something. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Which is also not... Exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's so weird. And he, he so slaps weird. the little boy multiple, multiple times. times. Um, so it's it's kind of gross, actually, that... Like, the yeah. behavior that the kids engage in, like, 
Yeah, it's and kinda, again, I just think about this whole, like, there's a hypodermic needle on the carpet, and there's this dramatic irony or supposedly comedic tension that these little kids are walking around barefoot. Yeah. And could step on this needle as part of the tension of right. the film. And, you know, the other <sighs> thing is, like, they look like they're maybe seven, maybe eight and ten or, or so, between eight and eleven years old. And it doesn't feel realistic of what they engage in in terms of their behavior. Misbehavior, yeah. And then also, like, the thing is, like, what they probably would have done is spent their whole time watching naughty TV if they could have gotten to it and calling and bothering him as much as possible. But they ultimately only call him, like, twice, right? Yeah. Um, so it it just doesn't work. It's really weird. It, it was shocking to me that he slapped the child. Yes. And then... The fourth one, also misogyny happening, you know, so there's, like, Bruce Willis is having an argument with his wife. He ends up calling her, like, this, that bitch. I'm gonna, mm. he, he says he's gonna go home and kill her. You throw her in the canyon and... Yeah, and so that kind of is, also doesn't feel... Right or weird. It feels weird. And again, like I said, you know, the the word gets thrown around. Yeah. At least it's in the mouth of an African-American character. But even then, you know, you still have a white director and screenwriter saying, you know, we're going to... Use this term. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. So, you know... So there's a big distance there. There's a big distance there. And, you know, as as we have talked about in the past, like... There's stuff now that was done in the 90s that you're just like, woof. Yeah, especially in the context of a comedy. I think yeah. it's one thing if this was a period, like, sort of a period piece, or this is like, we're going to explore street life, we're going to explore yeah. the lives of desperate people, and then these things come up, but you know this is how people would have. This is supposed to be a farcical comedy with these things in it. Yeah. And it, yeah, and which it doesn't it just, even... And also, it, I, don't know, I don't think it was funny then. And it doesn't and work it was... as a dark comedy either. Yeah. That's also, you know, like, I'm thinking about, like, Curdled. Yeah. Which works so well as a dark comedy. This does not work as a, a farce or a dark comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So then the technical distance, like I said, I think, and I, I some of the, one of the things I miss about the 90s was maybe post-stagflation decay. Mm-hmm. That there were these older places that were time travel yeah. that you could I think part of 90s ironic style is that you were making fun of previous eras and the styles of previous eras yeah. so the fact that the bellhop has like a 1948 bellhop costume get up uniform is I remember that I remember seeing stuff like that on MTV and yeah. music videos. They would go to some old place. I mean, part of the charm when we moved to Pittsburgh in 2000 was that the end civilization had already ended here, yeah. and that everything was was a throwback to 1978 and the Steelers winning or something or older. Right. Um, and those places are getting harder and harder to find and look for, and you have to maybe go out into the hinterlands. Yeah. And I think those things are rapidly disappearing. I think that was interesting. I mean, there's very few, there's only practical effects in the film. So the film still looks good. Yeah. It still looks like it should. We um, mentioned that there's the switchboard. Like, yeah, there's, there's a switchboard. switchboard. There um, is, again, this. There's you know, phones. Yeah. Um, 
Maybe some of the, like, the outfits you could tell are 90s. Definitely 90s. Yeah, there's some outfit. 90s hair. Yeah, with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, any effects that they have are, are very much practical. Yeah, and I effects. think in a lot of ways, I think the casting is also very period. Yeah. And very, you feel very distant to think like, oh, these people were very cool once. Yeah. This was a movie that was sold on the fact that it had a bunch of cool people in it. Yeah, it had cool directors, cool actors and actresses in and it. And they just forgot to write a script? Exactly. So question four being, will we ever watch this again? <laughs> Um, <laughs> unless we forget, unless we forget, no, I, I no. don't see it. Uh, we, you know, we have a tendency to rewatch films that we really like. Um, and, and so, and they, you know, we just rewatch hot fuzz, like, you know, just absolutely adore hot fuzz. Mm -hmm. We've probably watched it a dozen times. Yeah. Uh, we could go for a couple of years without seeing it, but we'll have these moments like, um, Oh, oh the Cornetto trilogy. trilogy. Let's, Let's put one of those on. Yeah. This this did not have any for me. Well, we're from the '90s, right? We have we're Gen Xers. We often have '90s nostalgia. There was no '90s nostalgia for me, which is why I went to watch it. I was like, oh, it's New Year's Eve, T this time of the Antonio year. Antonio Banderas is in it. Tarantino, no. Robert Rodriguez. This cast is like '90s indie indie actors. This is going to be fun. And there was no nostalgia. Wow. Yeah, there wasn't anything that I felt like, oh. Like, you know, for example, singles. The movie, the plot line. But, like, that music. And you're like, oh, Eddie Vedder. That's Eddie Vedder in the back. Whoa, Eddie Chris Vedder. Chris Brunel. Yeah, it's so, the Seattle. And Tad answers the yeah. phone for the wrong number. And all of those things. There was nothing that I felt a connection to. So this will go back and sit on our shelves. And unless in 15 years we forget. We completely forget. forget um, which I doubt we were going to completely forget. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> we, we also hold grudges for a long time. Yes. Uh, and we take notes when we watch these movies, movies. So they can always look up the notebook. Didn't we do that on the podcast like 15 yeah. years ago? That notebook's around here somewhere. and We will keep the film because we keep... We tend to keep our the films Oops. that we have, but I'm not gonna watch it again. There wasn't anything that I felt an appeal to or connection with. Yeah, same. So, if you want to see like an anthology film, do you have any rec? Well, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is of the mess much better anthology film than this. <sighs> or '90s indie. I mean, see something like Living in Oblivion. Mm, that's a great one. See Gas Food Lodging. See Green. See Green, yes, that's a movie you don't even know what that movie is, and we're going to review that at some point. See Slackers, you see know. Slacker. See Clerks, like go. yeah. See Slacker, yeah. See Slacker, yeah. If you want a movie that carries through a lot of different characters and is interesting and compelling and period correct, see Slacker, yes. Or Green Dreams with the Fishes. Oh, that's another good. Which one, is yeah. not an anthology film, but a great un unseen un yeah. Paid attention to 90s independent film that or is. Or even Go. Go. Which is, it's not necessarily an anthology, but it's a bunch of different stories that are kind of interconnected. It's always really interesting. Yeah. So there's so there's many. There's so much from that era that's worth watching. And Or watch any other Tarantino film um, yeah. than this because it's going to be. And right after this, he did Dusk. Till Dawn, which is a fun film, so go see yeah. that. Um, but which actually, the preview is in the. It is. It was is. on our rental copy. But they knew. I, I would not recommend 
saying this movie. Horror stuff. Nope. Not at all. I think that's it. That is it. Bye, everyone. Bye.